0: It is really sad that I don't have a relationship with my biological family, but also looking at the likelihood and possibilities and combinations of things that can happen, that's not going to change um, in a way that is going to be good for me.
1: Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast.
2: welcome everyone to the adversity to advantage podcast today after much back and forth i've got a dear friend or an old friend rather i should say uh, named ed moss and we were just reminiscing before we started recording about uh how we even knew each other and it was i mean almost i think a decade almost a decade ago um working with a a youth charity and our paths crossed on, on certain programs and I was uh, reminiscing about one of the toughest years of my life, really, but behind the scenes of all the good, exciting work that we were doing. Ed, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you. It's really nice to be on the show. I've watched so many of the the YouTube and podcasts as well.
2: Yay, that's so good. And I know, and I can see your background, I'm aware that you live on a boat and you um, just live in a slightly alternative way where you move around a little bit. Uh, Tell us about that. What's that like?
0: yeah so um yeah I live on a narrow boat um, and I've been uh, living on the boat for oh, nearly seven years now six and a half years um and originally it came out of um, deciding that i i wanted my own space um that was going to be mine um I'd, I'd kind of been homeless for a bit um I'd kind of lived in local authority housing and and also shelters um and and that kind of yeah there was a kind of I just want my own space that Someone can't take away from me. And um, I couldn't afford a house. Um, And I decided to see, like, all of the upsides of living on a boat. So, you know, I could live in Manchester, which is where I'm mostly based. But um, I can go on all these little adventures all over the place. Um, And, yeah, it's just been a really interesting uh, change of perspective. Um, I always knew, I just kind of had this feeling when I moved onto the boat that, like, it would just fit how I saw life. Um, so I didn't really have to change that much um, about myself and, it, you know, it wasn't really kind of an expression of my identity. It just felt like it was going to be a, a place that could like, facilitate me living how, how I kind of had dreamed of living.
2: I love that so much. I love it. Um, and so just across your life, what are you passionate about at the moment? What do you do? What gets you excited?
0: Sure. So I spent a lot of time doing workshops um, as a freelance facilitator. Um, And, uh, you know, I've been working this out for a long time, like, you know, working for three years, trying all sorts of different stuff. Um, Over time, you know, I've I've kind of become much more comfortable with letting go of some things that maybe I'm good at but don't really enjoy doing Um, and uh, kind of settled on um, working with people to kind of find their courage and different perspectives and different connections to to kind of change something about, you know, a situation that uh, organization is in. So it's often, you know, like organizations, social enterprises, mostly that see how, see how something's being done and go, this is ridiculous, or this is unfair, or like, you know, this could be done better. Um, And people often kind of get to that point and then really struggle with um, how to go through that change. Um, and what I've realized over a number of years is that, um, you know, one thing I can bring to that is, is some of my experience of going through that myself um, and taking lots of organizations through that. Um, and that's that's kind of why I kind of get up in the morning and, and you know, sit down at the computer to, to try and pick up some of the stuff and plan some, you know, interesting and visceral workshops to kind of really get people thinking about how they can play a role in the changes they want to see and, and it to be less terrifying.
2: Less terrifying. I love that. Um, and I can also see that some of the adversity that you've faced in, in your life very directly influences what you do or your purpose or how you give back in some way.
0: Completely, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, um, <clears throat> Well, I certainly have uh, kind of a long background of, of always putting other people before myself. Um and uh, one of the things that's been really interesting about becoming self-employed um, is you can kind of you have to let go of that a little bit. Um, and it's not becoming more selfish. It is definitely about um, you know looking at things in a more balanced way. I think when I was um, when I was a bit younger, I, I kind of relied on some kind of um, some quite hardline rules. And to survive. So, um, you know, I, I kind of was a carer for my mum. she was not very well. Um, and, uh, and she was kind of, you know, she could be quite hot and cold. Um, and I, I often found like, I often find people who are very hot and cold, quite difficult to be around. Um, it would
2: trigger stuff up for you, just from your yeah. own past or that the emotional response of that.
0: Absolutely. And, and one of the things that is has been really interesting for me is realizing that there is kind of lots of lots of interesting patterns there and um one of the things is about um when i when I, so there was a process where i became homeless um while doing well, my GCSEs.
2: tell us about that i would just want a little bit of surrounding information like what got you to that point
0: yeah sure so um after so my mum was pretty ill she then uh, died of not the thing i was caring her for um she, she ended up getting cancer and um, to kind of add to the cocktail of uh, cocktail of stuff that was going on for her. Um, so when she died, um, my dad uh, just couldn't really deal with looking after me and my brother really at all. Um, you know, just a generational thing, his own experiences. Um, he did the best he could in the situation, but you know, it still led to some pretty poor behaviour. Um, you know, he was quite, he could be quite violent at times, very controlling. Um, and in the end, uh, there was a yeah, kind of a few instances where. You know, I felt really, really fearful and threatened for my life. Um, and one night, um, you know, he just kind of lost it. Really, during during my GCSEs, um, and I kind of left. Well, I did leave home in that instant. I ran out through the door, and I never went back. Um, and then there was a period of um, you know, sort of sofa surfing, um, and and kind of you know, just having no fixed abode, a bit of bit of roughing, um, and so. Um, I think during that period, um, one of the things I've reflected on over the last couple of years is uh, it was really hard to get um, to be listened to and to be heard. Um, So the first thing that happened is when I went to the council to tell them what happened, they just rang my dad and they said, oh, so we've got your son here. And um, yeah, so like, you know, he's saying he can't come home. My dad was like, well, he can come home. Oh, gosh.
2: <laughs> so you're 16, you get so desperate that you've got to go to the council, you've got to figure something out. Were you able to be pretty direct and honest with them about being fearful and, and not being able to go home for th- those sorts of reasons? Um,
0: at first, no. Yeah, I was I was kind of um, I was quite shy. I was quite embarrassed. I was quite shamed about what happened because I'd been the one that looked after everybody. Yeah. So I was also yeah. dealing with this whole kind of oh my god I've left my brother and like you know what what are people going to think of me all this kind of stuff. But I found out really quickly like if if you are not talking about the stuff that's really really messed up, you just don't get listened to. And this is really help. interesting yeah. is that. You end up having to tell the worst parts of the story in a very kind of repetitive, over and, and over, quite damaging. Yeah, and and one of the things that's really interesting, and I've done some work over the last few years, is is kind of like remembering the other parts of the story, because um, you know when you have to repeatedly tell a negative story in order to access something as basic as housing or food, um, like you just walk history really badly. Um, and actually, you know, there were times even during that period where my dad was, you know, behaved really nice and really important to uh, actually acknowledge that and go back and recognize it because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all terrible all the time. So that's a really damaging way of telling a story, I think.
2: But that is super important for our listeners because we can get stuck in the identity of the terrible, horrible thing that happened, you know, for like I was in a cult and, um, it becomes the identity and people's um, assumption is that it's all terrible and horrific and all this sort of thing. And actually, when you go back over the memory, you go, actually, my parents were really there for me or I had, there were amazing memories of me and my siblings traveling to amazing places that nobody had opportunity to, you know? And so giving, yep. looking at it from the full spectrum of color rather than the black or white, I had a terror because I became homeless or because my dad threatened me or, or, and my mom passed away, those headlines can then define you and that's your identity,
0: right? Sure. And and one thing I've been always, um, I think people have always sat up and taken notice of is the fact that that's not been how the story has ever been told. Um, and people often used to say, oh, goodness, you're so brave and you're so courageous and you're really inspirational. Um, and for a long time, I just didn't believe it at all. Um, I kind of went, I was a bit like, I think I'd just taken for granted all the stuff that had come before that. Um, which, which was, and also there was another thing where I was so relieved to be out of that place. Like, you know, living in a, living in a bed and breakfast, um, where I was 16 and I was living with people who would, uh, who were out on remand for sex offenses. Um, it was really badly placed placement. <laughs> terrific. Um, yeah. Like being there was, was miles better than being at home for my, for my being and mental health. Like
2: and better. So the context that you're that you're describing was actually better than
0: how it was. You know, I, I used to, I used to lock my door at night in that little hostel and I had all my stuff. I mean, I didn't really have much stuff, but the stuff I had, I had set up and it was my space. And I was like, I just remember thinking I'm free and I can do, I can just do stuff. I can make stuff happen. And it was because I had these amazing friends around me who, um, I think were just mostly bewildered, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, yeah, a bit bewildered, and also, were just really there for me, and and absolutely would never, ever, ever let me, you know, sink into, you know, feeling like I was going to miss out on stuff. Um, so, just is this, because is this just sort me. of
2: school friends and kids your own age, or was it mentors, or a
0: bit of a mixture? So, there was definitely lots of. Uh, so, these were mostly college friends at this time. Okay. Um, so, I kind of carried on doing um, A levels. I started fresh. I went to college. Um, okay. I learned a really important thing about myself, which is that I can make friends really easily. Um, and the, um, and to just trust in that, then that would that would be fine. Um, yeah, and uh, so I kind of got through my A-levels, um, but also I had, um, at the time, my girlfriend's uh, mum, you know, was very, very, very supportive. And we've kind of stayed in touch ever since, really. And she was just, she was really grounding in that way where as you get further and further away from the weird stories, um, and you come to retell them. Uh, there's a moment sometimes for me where I'm like, God, that seems so long ago and so weird. Like, am I making it up? Mm. Um, so and questioning she herself, right? Yeah, and she she's really good at like just. She doesn't even tell me, "No, you're not making it up." She'll just retell some of the experiences she had during that time. Mm. And I'm like, God, yeah, that was that was really, and I learned something different from it every time. Um, every time she retells it, and it's just really—I just find it really important to rehear really that every so often. Not every, not frequently; just you know, every couple of years. We just, you know, she'll come over and we'll have some wine and we'll just talk about. Do you remember that time I lived on your sofa for nine months?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, so uh, I mean, obviously, adversity. Um, probably some rock bottom moments there, just as far yeah. as your identity and thinking about your brother. And I mean, what? How did your relationship with your father evolve or your connection to your family did you create distance or what happened
0: so um we went through um a few years of not really being that in touch um we had some really strange um interactions with each other that were um you know like i think basically their method of dealing with it was to kind of go and um you know encourage the family to kind of back them up and support them mm. um, so I've not really had any contact with my biological family really since um, there's, there's been a few interactions with them that were um I don't know what was going on really um, but it wasn't appropriate at all um and and actually they always benefited directly out of each interaction um so um yeah so in the end actually in about 2011 I remember having this um, conversation with, with my stepmom, um, and she'd run me for something that she needed and um, having not spoken to her for months, if not a year. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I remember she said to me, um, when are you going to forgive us? And I said to her, that's really interesting because I don't think there's been anything to forgive. Um, which I might have changed my opinion on slightly now, but I, was mm-hmm. like, I don't think there's anything to forgive. Um, but one thing I do think is important is that we, we've never had a chance to talk about what happened. Like I've never had a chance to tell you how I felt and how let down I was by, by what happened. And you, I've never heard what it was like for you and dad. I've got some assumptions mm. about, you know, how difficult things were, but I've never heard that stuff. And I think that would be a really important part of the healing process. Um, I said, but and I, I I've, I'm really up for doing that. But you also need to recognise that I now have my own family. Like I've made a family in Manchester, mm-hmm. and they're really important to me. And they are there unconditionally. Like that is really clear. There was no, there was no. Oh, this is getting a bit difficult. We can't handle it. We'll run away. Mm-hmm. Um, they are there unconditionally, and that's what I wanted, and that's what I needed, and that's what I have. So of course we can start again. But we're starting again as, as adults, as strangers, um, and we can build some kind of friendship. Um, but there, I don't feel like I have, I don't feel like I've got a space in my life. There's not a vacant gap of a parent. So you can't just kind of miss 10 years and just drop back in. Um, so so that's kind of how it's been. And she sort of said, well, you know, I, I just don't think your dad will be able to have that conversation. And I said, well... Not being funny, but, you know, he's 70-something, he's retired, and he's got plenty of cash. That really isn't my problem, and maybe he should go and deal with that. That's not my problem. Um, Take responsibility
2: himself for uh, his own processing of things, yeah. Of
0: course, And and I also said to her, but also, like, you know, I get that it must be very sad, but also you and Dad seem to be very happy and seem to be having, you know, a very nice life together and... You know, after all of those years of pain for my dad, I'm actually really pleased that, you know, you've got that life. My brother's happy. He's doing what he seems to want to do. Like you've all managed to get on. I'm happy. I'm doing what I want to do. What, you know, I'd also question what your driver is about wanting to reconnect this, this stuff. Because, like, actually, it was really painful and it didn't work. (laughs) Um,
2: And can I I just say, this this whole conversation, your approach to it sounds very emotionally intelligent. It sounds mature. It doesn't sound vindictive. Or all the things that we might be left with. What was the process that got you there, though? Like, how did you maybe work on yourself to get to this point where you could have that non-triggered, you know, emotionally intelligent conversation or making those valid requests?
0: Sure I think um, it definitely started like I, I, I saw things quite positively quite soon after leaving home um, and um, one of the one of the ways I kept myself safe when I was um, homeless and also living in um, sheltered accommodation and, and ha- like authority housing where I was actually quite lonely and isolated was to just kind of stay positive all the time so every situation I was like. I would just instantly looked for the positive and I just trained myself to be as positive as possible. Um, a friend of mine referred, uh, when he first met me he said, goodness, I've never met anyone so pathologically pos- positive. Um, <laughs> and, and do you, do you, uh,
2: what, what, how do you think you developed that? Do, uh, you, I heard you earlier say you look, being a carer and, you know, needing to make sure everyone was okay. Do you think it kind of derived from, from that childhood, uh, lesson?
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely come from that childhood lesson. And also, um, I've got a kind of this pattern of, of generally putting other people before myself. Um, and I think one of the things that that teaches you is that, um, you know, you're constantly looking and reading and measuring what other people need and want. Um, and therefore, you know, and if you're working out how you can make them, you know, or if you're working out how you can fulfill some of those needs from a young age, like, you, you, and you're able to do that repetitively and, and frequently. Like I guess the message I was picking up a lot was like, oh, you can see a problem, and if you you know kind of just get into it for a bit, then you'll figure out a solution, and then things will be better. Sure, so it becomes pretty hardwired. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it definitely um, there were times where where it faltered, um, and uh, it, it wasn't you know definitely always the right solution um but I think that was a big part of it and also um you know when I was when I was living at home and I was very very depressed um and I'd sort of you know I'd kind of gone quite actively into exploring what taking my own life would look like um and uh there was a there was a few moments where in that process I just thought um I just thought they've got there's got to be another solution like you know they they just can't this can't be the only option um uh and part of that was out of going oh what would my brother do what would you know all these other people other in my people. life do yeah. i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to do that to them so i've got to find something so yeah uh, there, yes, there to, was an
2: upside in a way to thinking in that way but um, as, as an adult and you know in your own relationships and, and work life and all of that has there been any downside to this thinking of other people first and this pathological positivity is there a downside mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think um, uh, I've been getting used to the idea over the last year and a half. So it's still quite fresh for me. Um, I had this uh, realisation when I was going through some therapy um, that um, I had a a massive fear of sadness. Mm. Like I was terrified of sadness. Um, And I would do like ridiculous things possibly to, to kind of avoid sadness. So the kind of, yeah, like... You know, I would be in a situation that was objectively sad, like it was a really sad situation to be in. And my first response would be, oh, well, it's going to get better. And, um, you know, and think about the positives that I could get out of that situation. And I would focus so quickly on improving myself mm. um, to learn from, you know, whatever, whatever just happened that um, I never I just never really just accepted that some things are sad. Um, and that they're not dangerous because when I was homeless and I had, you know, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm kind of independent and I'm on my own. I couldn't afford to have a day off work. I couldn't afford to like fall behind at college or anything like that. So I had to stay positive. There was no time for lazing around in bed around feeling, feeling bad for myself because I was like because if I do like I am literally fucked yeah yeah, <laughs> so yeah. i I'm to stay that year but... you are you are <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and, like there's literally nothing else and then and then I'm in no better position than when I was in my bedroom you know age 14 um thinking well there's what's the point so um so it kind of really got me through and it drove me like it drove me really hard and I worked so hard. Um, and that's that thing is like when you're really that positive, um, people are attracted to you professionally and personally. Um, and, and it means that you can fulfill any of those needs like really, really easily um, while all the time, never really working out what you want. Um, and, uh, you know, just suddenly finding yourself in this really interesting career where you're doing really well at it. Um, but what you've, also done is because you've not really spent any time kind of being okay with with the kind of sadder parts of stuff is um you know there, there's, there's definitely this really interesting safety i found in, in kind of having a status so like being in a relationship i felt safe just in a relationship i um i felt safe having a job title and mm-hmm. um, i felt safe like the day i signed that um lease for my um my first kind of council property, um, where it was basically, I mean, so long as you keep paying the rent, you can stay here forever. Like, all of those statuses were so important to me. Um, and one of the things I've learned sort of through my 20s and now into my 30s is, is kind of going, okay, that was really important then. Um, but you don't have to keep holding on to that stuff. Like, you can, you can let go of it now. You can, make- um, you can be safe without those things. You can make conscious choices. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and um and we, we talked a little bit before and you referred to uh getting to a breakout a breakdown point um and I'm curious about that. Do you was was that um a sort of a follow on from all of this? Let me hold this all up positively, perfectly for so many people and stay safe in my status. And at some point there was a straw that broke the camel's back or like what what was that? Because I really want people to get the downside of because because on the outside it'll be like hey, what's wrong with that? It drove you, you achieved, you're a positive person, positive psychologist would be like, you know, winning. You're the guy who can translate everything into good, you know, and, and I'm just curious, like that led you somewhere. Tell us about that.
0: So that led me to eventually becoming chief executive of a charity aged 20, 28, I think. Um, and being like, this is great. And like this, this, this organization was so in line with my values and uh, and my purpose around helping people to be heard and making changes based on people's experiences uh, i was so into it it was amazing um and it was but there was this kind of it was it was also kind of very convenient it was kind of off the shelf identity almost and then um the trustees had a change in in kind of direction we got um uh, a new because uh, i was kind of holding the floor basically in kind of interim way and kind of, you know, really enjoying the, the experience of working collaboratively with everybody. We've got a new chief exec in who just had a very different style and, and it, it jarred so much. I just felt ill a lot. Um, I was being asked to do things that compromised how I saw the world. Um, like fundamentally it was, it was not even like limiting belief stuff. It was just, I just don't think, I the world should run like that and I've seen evidence that it doesn't need to be and therefore I don't believe you I don't I don't care for this this way of doing things and I I just can't do it um and um yeah so I ended up leaving that job and uh and I just went straight into another job really quickly different sector yeah. um yeah. and I was like yeah this is great I can do with this this is fine um and then one thing I just found Really quickly is because it it lacked that purpose for me. Um, so all of a sudden, the kind of the, the foundation that was always about putting other people first and always about helping other people to tell their stories, um, like I just wasn't getting every day. It was the first time in my life that wasn't happening. Mm. I didn't have the same you know status necessarily with um, you know the same title that, that had been so easy for me to just trot off. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm such and such. You know, I do this and I work for this organization. Isn't that great? Yeah. Um, isn't it positive and wonderful what I'm doing with my life? Um, and yeah, and it unraveled really quickly. And I remember this afternoon, I'd sat at my desk and I was kind of doing something, whatever, on a computer. And everyone, and, and, I, and I felt this tightness like building up all over me all through the day. And it had been building for weeks. And everyone left because, you know, 501, everyone had gone. It was that kind of organization which was. A nice breath of fresh air. Yeah, <laughs> people just went home at the end of the day. It was great. And I remember getting to. Uh, I remember the last the sort of door buzzer went as the last person went out, and being like, "I I need to go home. Yeah, I should definitely go home. Um, yeah, I'm definitely fine. I'm definitely fine. Everything's fine. And I can remember telling myself, "Everything's fine. <laughs> um, and you know, you just got to switch the lights off. And put the dishwasher on and then you can go home and, and then I can go and do something positive and I could feel like I was I was having this argument internally uh, and there was someone desperately like rattling a cart or something wanting to get out I don't know what to describe it and I remember I got to the train station it was a beautiful sunny day um, and, and it just started to rise up again. And I was there trying to push it back, force it back down. Like, no, mm. <laughs> I am
2: fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you how we feel. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I got onto this train and it was really packed. Um, and so I stood up in the aisle and, uh, and it came up again and I couldn't stop it. Mm. Um, it just overcame me. And I burst into tears on a packed commuter train. And I went and, and, I, and I couldn't stand up, so I ended up lying on the floor. And the funny thing was that people made space for me to lie on the floor, but then, like, nobody nobody knew what to do. So I just lay on the floor and I sobbed all the way back to Manchester, which was about mm. 25, 30 minutes or something. And I got up off the floor and I did one thing that I'd, I'd never, ever done in that situation before, which was, was ring, um, who I referred to as my Manchester parents, and I just, I just picked up the phone as I got off the train and I didn't even have to say anything. And, um, Jez, who's my sister mother, just said, just come over, just come over. And I remember coming over and I didn't say anything at all. I just cried. I cried so much, so much for, it felt like hours. Um, and yeah, and that was kind of the start really, um, of going, right, I I need to do something about this. Um, And I don't need to find a positive solution for it. I just need to work out what this is. Um, And it doesn't... Yeah, and I look back on it now and and I remember feeling like, how am I going to fix this? Um, And one of the things that I really got out of the therapy process was... um, Some stuff, like, I've been through a lot, I have been through a lot, and some of it is really sad. Like, it is really sad that I don't have a relationship with my biological family. But also, looking at the likelihood and possibilities and combinations of things that could happen, that's not going to change Mm. um, in a way that is going to be good for me. So, like, that's okay. You know, it would, it would kind of be ridiculous to look at the catalogue of stuff that happens and say that there was no sadness in there. And I think that day on the train was kind of, it just all finally came out. And importantly, it came out because I was safe and ready for it to come out.
2: That's um, such, a, yeah. such a like a wise thing that I just want to capture for people. Because sometimes life is suddenly good, right? it's suddenly great and then you can feel like you're falling apart and it's very useful to note that that doesn't mean you haven't worked really hard and gotten to where you need to be and that you are you know but it does mean that you're safe and that you're you're now giving yourself permission or your body's giving yourself permission to after all the build up of grief and homelessness and fear and all of those things to just let it out and release and that that can be really healthy right
0: yeah absolutely and um yeah, and just still working through, like, some of those things that, um, you know, have made me feel sad. And um, a friend of mine introduced me to um, Inside Out, the film. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah.
2: It's like a cartoon, so, right, with uh, all the little parts in your brain, the emotions, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and, he, and the fact there are five characters that play the different roles of the different emotions. Um, and um, spoiler alert for anyone listening, like skip forward this bit, is um, is that at the end, um, Happiness, who's like the main character, um, recognises the value of sadness and mm-hmm. how important sadness is. Now, I can't tell you how much I cried that evening. <laughs> and my was like... It's just a cartoon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was like... Yeah, it just felt like one of those moments where I felt like, you know, that someone else had expressed something that, you know, like it just just made it feel much more, God, if they made a film about this, loads of other people must have had this too.
2: (laughs) So like embracing the full range of who you are, we don't need to shut off other sides of ourselves or forget that we had pain and only translate it into something positive. There's actually great strength and power in the vulnerability of embracing all sides of ourselves and being open about that and making conscious decisions to process it, to take actions that are in line with our values, things like that.
0: Yeah. And, and one, one thing that's really interesting is I think, um, so I often look back uh, at um, some of the things and think, goodness, how did, I, how did I get through that? And there was a kind of positivity um, that I kind of mentioned. Um, and, uh, one of the things I find really interesting that I'm just kind of unpicking a bit is, um, so through being fearful of being sad or allowing myself to kind of sit with that sadness, um, yeah, there was a kind of almost like addiction to, um, positivity and, um, and I think going through what I'm trying to say, so, the addiction to the addiction to positivity, I think, may, meant that I never had to deal with sadness. Um, if you don't have to uh, deal with sadness, then. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest things I've I've always been fearful of, or made me feel really vulnerable. I feel really vulnerable when I'm sad about something,
2: and I totally relate because about ten years ago. I was suicidal, I was in a point where I had a toddler and a baby, and I put them in dangerous situations, alcohol addiction was really high. And I just remember, like, if I even talk about it, I remember the feeling of the absolute loneliness and isolation, and that nobody was going to help me and you know, all this sort of stuff. And it was dangerous at that time, it was literally, I could, my kids could be in danger, my life could end, like it was black or white dangerous. But like the hint of it now um, of just like a little bit of downtime or a little bit of depression or tears makes me go, fuck no, I'm going to drive harder, right? And so it's really, I always learn something from these podcasts, as people know, Um, and it's really good to remind myself that yes, it can be used as fuel as far as our our purpose and helping others, which is a beautiful thing. Like I don't want to discount that. And we need to listen to our bodies and our minds to actually know what what it is that we need sometimes to slow down to reflect on on pain sadness and to and to connect maybe with the right people what are the things you do now or that you've learned along the way that help you look after yourself um you know think about your own mental health um Uh, you know that mechanism of a boundary so that it's not giving all of your energy away but keeping some for yourself like what are the things the 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 kind of strategies that you've learned now
0: yeah so um i'm still working on boundaries
2: it's a a tricky (laughs) one
0: (laughs) saying no yeah realizing that other people's um emotions are not my responsibility um it's a huge one once you figure that out though uh huh. <laughs> so yeah. So I'm, I'm awareness now.
2: So yes. First step. I'm going to that.
0: Um, the um, the the other thing I think. Um, so one thing that's really changed for me in the last. Uh, so by going um, self-employed, is um, so changing this idea that you have to be seen to be busy from nine to five. Um, and or once longer. You, or more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once once you uh, once you can kind of once I found a process to let go of that, and I'm still not quite sure how I did that, um, just other than through experimentation, um, was realising that I could achieve the same level of income. Um, So the first year, I was like really harsh on myself, like pushed, 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 even though I was like having a full-on meltdown, um, and I was kind of battling with myself and and bullying myself into, you know, kind of continuing. Um, And then, as I said through the Therapy process, I kind of started to carve out time. So, just carving out time to go to therapy, and then literally not being able to do anything for the rest of the day, um, just because my head was like, um, was I just had to start accepting that? And I was like, if you want, if you don't, if you don't want to carry this stuff around with you all the time, you need to find some time to put the little bag down. Um, and I remember my therapist saying, "What would it be like to put all of this down?" Um, and I just was like. I, that was too much, that
2: question. But then you realize how attached you are to, yeah, to right. everything, to the, the yeah. you know, chasing the status or chasing the money or whatever it might be to help you feel like some self-worth.
0: Mm. And for me, it was never about money. It was, and um, the status I was saying is about, was about creating safety for myself. The, um, for me, um, my self-worth only came from being able to provide or help other people. And if I didn't do that, I was worthless like what
2: was your identity then like who are you if you don't have those things right
0: absolutely so so actually the the breakdown and you know more recently um after i was attacked and things like that the the, the excruciating vulnerability um i feel about asking other people in those situations to help me because i can't give back and it's not it's not asking so i can i can ask you for help and I'm, i've become much more comfortable over the years and one of the things i've um Realised is that I have to help. A, I have to for help a lot um, going through things, and um, and I've got much better at asking for help and offering it. You know, I've always been happy to offer it. Um, th- but the time that that gets pushed to its limit is where I feel incapable of giving, of doing um, the
2: nice trade to give back in some way.
0: Yeah, and and I and and actually the the more recent experience, I had to keep reminding myself that, um, with the, with the attack, I just kept reminding myself that you give all the time and just, and it's, and just because you ask people to help you in this situation, um, doesn't mean that they're going, you're, they're going to use up that well, um, straight, you know, like within that amount. Um, and also if people can't give to you in that moment, it's not because of you. It's because they can't give in that moment for whatever reason. It's not personal.
2: So that's again, Um, they're responsible for themselves.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's that's been really helpful. Um, the so that, that process of re- like my relationships with other people. So you know that moment where I picked up the phone and, and rang Jazz um, on that day was was a huge moment. Um, the other times since then where I've just gone, okay, fine. You know, after the after my attack, um, some friends set up a crowdfunder. Um, and raised some money to replace my phone, which my insurance company wouldn't wouldn't replace because um, I obviously you know use a phone for work a lot and um, and take lots of photos using my phone. It's a really important you know. I really enjoy it. Uh, I can't tell you how like that. I was just like <laughs> <laughs> just receiving. So they've what yeah, they've done lots And they've given me how much? Oh my god! Um, yeah, and I found it really. Um, at first I could just feel that kind of like, no, 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 I'm the one that gives, I'm the one that gives wow. yeah. and and I just really just eased off that and I think one of the ways that I've been able to do that again, because all these things are holistic, right, you don't, you know, it's not like one silver magic bullet it's a collection of different things that you're doing um, plus everything you bring with you um, in your life and um, so I've been going back to, to yoga Amazing. a lot um, and so in in the past I went to Ashtanga yoga um, when I was living in Birmingham and did it very religiously in that very kind of I'm going to be positive everything's going to be great yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> the thing I loved about Ashtanga was that it was the same sequence every time and it was about achieving certain postures so at that time it was perfect for me because I was like that's what I wanted to be doing you know you got perfection da, 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 da. Yeah. whereas the place I go to now has loads of different teachers they all focus on something different. The classes are quite different from each other, and it's and it's and I go to the first class of the day, so sometimes that's at seven thirty, sometimes it's at ten, um, but I always make sure that that is the first thing I do. Um, if I'm delivering a workshop, I'll give my permission to not go to it um, because that sometimes doesn't work out practically, yeah. but. Um, uh, if I'm not delivering, you know, when I'm at home or from I'm working, like, that is the first thing I do in the day. Um, and I go make that time for me because as well as being physical and reminding myself that I have this body that can move, um, I'm also reminding, like, I'm able to use that time to check in on how I'm feeling and, and then process what I'm going to do with that. So if I wake up and I'm like, oh, actually, I'm feeling a bit sad today. What I used to do is, why are you feeling sad? What can we do to sort it out? Fix it, um, change it fix yeah. it yeah right go for a run that'll, that'll sort you out so is quite like
2: a shouty bully voice right it Just like fix yourself
0: yeah whereas now it's um i'll go to yoga and i'll lie down and they'll say you know Great. like before we start the class and it's like okay so like check in with how you're feeling this morning and i'm like i'm a bit tired this morning Hmm. <laughs> so i'm just going to take it easy in this class and that's quite nice or if i'm if i'm like i'm feeling a bit sad um i'm like that's fine that's okay like you know, this can be a sad day, and that's, that's fine, you know. Um,
2: so that whole it's voice is self-compassion rather than yeah. jealousy,
0: yeah. And I had one a few weeks ago where I just, you know, in that class I was like, I'm feeling quite sad today, um, and I thought um, by the end of the class I, I'd kind of, I hadn't spent much time thinking about it, but as I was kind of getting changed, the thing that felt right to do was to go back and to make a coffee um, and to sit and read my book. Um, and I just sat for about 45 minutes and read my book. Um, and I did some, like, sketching and painting and stuff like that um, for another 45 minutes. And my mood changed massively in that time. Um, but because there was no pressure to be better, um, I just could just sit and be with all that stuff. Um, and, and I was safe. Like, I could be sad and it wasn't going to destroy me oh my god Um, that's
2: so powerful that's so powerful that you can hold the duality of it that i can acknowledge this feeling and i can do something self-compassionately that that recognizes that it might be slowing down that i need and doing something creative that isn't status driven or achievement driven just to to nurture yourself
0: and the other important thing about those two things is um so i i've never been that good at reading um i've always found it difficult and uh and by no means am i a, a, an accomplished um you know visual artist with a with a paintbrush and i think there's something really i i'm finding something really important in not having to be good at something um so in those moments where um in those moments where i am feeling sad like giving myself permission to go and do something or or be um with something that I've traditionally not associated as being good at. um, I think is really, I've not worked out what that is yet, but like that seems to be a way that I can, I can be with all of that stuff. Amazing. Um, Yeah.
2: Utilizing the creativity. Um, Ed, we are coming to the end of our time. I feel like we could go on for another three hours. I feel like I'm going to have to get you on again and we're just going to go deep (laughs) on positive psychology or self-care as a self-employed entrepreneur because that stuff is, a uh, struggle. So we oh, we could do boundaries as well. Oh, there's so much we could do. Um, <laughs> but in order to close for today, what advice would you give to I don't know your your 16 year old self or the kid who's just trying to survive and and figure it out, or or for people who are in a similar situation who've dealt with grief and don't feel like they have a support network, what advice would you give to to that guy?
0: So in that way that um, I don't think you. Uh, you know that whole thing of um, the, the, those paradoxes about going back in time. Would you change the future? Um, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't want to change anything because all of that has got me here. Um, but one thing I would want to say to myself at the time is: everything you're doing now is right for now. Mm. Um, and I was talking to a friend recently, and you know, we were talking about you know, some of the shameful things that, or the things you might feel shameful about that you do in a moment. Um, but then you kind of forget about the context. And I, I was just like, yeah, but like, it was right in the moment you you made the best, like we're hardwired to survive. Um, and you made best decisions that you possibly could have made with the information and the, the tools that you've had available to you at the time. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a relationship where there's like abuse or something, um, like, you're, you're not going to have the mm. skills and tools to make the right decisions that you would do if you didn't, weren't in that relationship, right? Um, but when you're in it in the moment, um, you have, you, know, you make the best decisions with what you've got. So I just think, you know, rather than, rather than going, oh, I could have handled that better and being perfect, it was like, why don't you just accept that that was what you could do at the time? Um, and that you're no longer in that situation, you're no longer in that context, um, and of course you can look back on it and think you'd do something differently. Um, but that's with the
2: uh, with hindsight and with the skills that you have now.
0: Yeah, of course. And isn't that a beautiful gift to say that you've you've now got those things that you didn't have then? But it doesn't it doesn't mean that you were shameful in that moment, um, you know. And you'll look back on this time now in the future and think, goodness, if only I had something that you might gain in the future um and th- i guess that ties into the this idea of um you know kind of being good enough mm. um and i know you're a big fan of Brené brown um and for, for years i used to watch her videos um, around um vulnerability and, and, and shame and be like yeah i understand what you're saying i just don't get it like right. i don't get <laughs> it yes yeah. and then I've, you know, as I've gone on these journeys over the last sort of three or four years, um, I've watched those videos and the percentage of personal experience that I feel when I watch those videos goes up and up and up every time. Um, Because I'm like, oh, like, it's not just an academic understanding of the concepts now. It's, I've got an actual personal experience that, and I can, I can, I can, I feel it, see it.
2: And, and so, it's the daily actions that we can take that show that are vulnerable, like this podcast, for example, or like connecting to our partners or our the people that are in our life and show it like taking down the mask and being our real self, even if it's not, even if it's messy, even if it's not all figured out.
0: And it's interesting because you, you referred at the beginning to the kind of the toing and the throwing. Um, and there was definitely a period when we first started um, this conversation about doing this podcast where. Um I was like, I've got nothing to offer this. Like I really don't have anything to offer it. And I was in a funny headspace because like there'd been another kind of um attack just six weeks before it as well. I'd had a bit of a run of bad luck. Um and I was like, I'm just not in the right space for this. Um I've got nothing to offer. Um I would need to present myself in this kind of perfect way. Um, and, uh, and part of it was that I, my head was just all over the place and you had just got garbage, I think. Um, but, but also like even as late as Friday, I was thinking, uh, I don't know, like <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe I should cancel now and then, uh, and then, you know, you can find somebody else to do this, this podcast because, and I just thought, no, just like lean into it and, you know, it doesn't need to be polished and perfect and finished.
2: And I have to say, I'm so happy you did. Like, I have a trust thing that the t- when the time is right, the guests will, will just show up, you know. And so I never feel like I, I pressure, like I want to go, no, but you must don't cancel. Because I'm like, no, nope. because the universe knows the process that goes on within a person in order to put their story out on a public platform and for you to be ready for, for that level of vulnerability. I always do say, and I get these as well, uh, vulnerability hangovers. Um, so self-care mm-hmm. over the next few hours or tomorrow, because I usually wake up and go, oh, what did I say? Um, and, and, then, and then I realize the impact. And I know from what I've heard that I just appreciate so much your, your vulnerability and you, you showing up and that this is exactly what's going to sort of propel our audience to think about this in a different way. Because it's a different angle on the, you know, we'll you just check your mindset and move forward. It's actually like breathe into where you actually are. And, and audit it from that perspective of self-compassion and looking after yourself. Um, Ed, if people want to connect with you in some way, where can they find you? And is Instagram the best place? Where can people find you?
0: Well, um, if you're particularly interested in boat life and, like, so I know, you know, I do like taking photographs. Um, so, I'm a, uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram as at the boat health. Um, if, if you're interested in the kind of work that I'm doing, um, I'm on Twitter um, at edmosbtg, um, and I've got a website which people can have a look at if they wanted to, um, bridgingthegap.tips. Tips. Um, and yeah, so like I'm, I'm always really interested and happy to hear from people. Um, I, I once was on, I did a thing on um, radio for a couple of years ago where it was called um, Interviews on a Bench um, and they just interview people in the park and um, and it was really lovely actually I had a few people uh, email me after that um, uh, sort of interview and sort of say oh my goodness you know this has really helped or um, you know I'm really curious to see what you think about this and I find people asking me questions often is also really good to you know get to me thinking Absolutely. Um, so I find that really helpful
2: too. But... Amazing. Yeah, we'll we'll add all of that into the show notes. Ed, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so I can't wait for this to be out there.
0: Yeah, uh, it's gonna be cool. It is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: cool. Have a lovely day. Thank you.